please be seated. So as we've gone through the book of James in the last several weeks, we've been asking this question, what does it mean for us to have a working faith? What does it take to cultivate a faith that works? Because James doesn't fall for that false dichotomy that some would try to say that faith and works are opposed to each other. But he says, no, faith and works support each other. Faith and works depend on each other. Faith is expressed through works, and works are made alive through faith. And in the background of this conversation that he's having about faith and works, he's writing to a church that's in conflict. He's writing to a church where there's dissension, where there's infighting, where there's factions fighting against each other. Last week, Alex spoke to us about this passage on the taming of the tongue. And this was so important to say to this church that's at war because people were using their words as weapons of war. And so the gospel would command us to lay down those weapons and to, to tame our tongues as we speak to one another. This week, James dives deeper into what is behind these quarrels. What's underneath all these, these fights that you're having? What's going on under the surface? That's an important question to ask. Uh, I've been working with a, a couple that's working towards marriage and prepare, helping to prepare them for Christian marriage. And just last week, we were talking about fighting. And we were talking about how, as a Christian couple, should we, what principles should we have for fighting? How can we use conflicts in our marriage to help strengthen us rather than drive us further apart? And we talked about the importance of knowing what is the fight really about here? What are we actually fighting about? Because at some point, the fight's no longer about doing the dishes. Uh, the fight's no longer about stealing the covers off the bed. But there's something deeper going on here. And then even deeper than that, a level below that, we got to ask the question, what is it in me that's causing me to act and react and behave in this way? And what is it in my spouse or my friend or my neighbor that's causing them to act or react or behave in this way? What's the deeper heart issue that maybe through this fight, God is putting his finger on and saying, that, that is what I want to work on in you. Conflicts and fights have a great way of shining a big, uncomfortable spotlight on our own insecurities and our own flaws. And that's how God grows us in holiness. So James is using these conflicts to point out what's underneath the surface here. What's really going on in the depths of the human heart that is causing these quarrels? What is at the root of this sin that these fights are causing? And he points out three things. And I want to use these three things to explore this passage. He talks about the passions of the flesh, Friendship with the world and the activity of the devil. The passions of the flesh, friendship with the world, and activity of the devil. Uh, Those three are actually the traditional Christian enemies of the soul. So throughout scripture and throughout Christian theology, those three, and like our old prayer book reorders it a little bit and talks about the world, the flesh, and the devil. You may have heard those three paired together before but they are traditionally known as the enemies of our soul. They are the sources of temptation, the forces and influences working on us to actively pull us away 
from the Lord. And in our baptismal vows, if you're ever interested, this, our, our baptismal liturgy is beautiful and fascinating to, as an exploration of what the Christian life is. But in this liturgy of our baptism, we're asked to renounce all three of the world, the flesh, and the devil. To renounce means to say, not going to do that anymore. Not going to have any part of that anymore. And we have to renounce them in order then to receive God's grace and to say yes to God. We say no to the world, the flesh, and the devil so that we can say yes to God. And being a Christian requires us to know these enemies and to know how to renounce them in Jesus' name, not just once at our baptism, but throughout our Christian life. Because the world, the flesh, and the devil do not stop trying to influence you and to pull you away from Jesus once you're baptized. It's a continual activity and a continual need to renounce these things. So I want to use the framework of the world, the flesh, and the devil to look at our passage from James today. And if it would be helpful to have it open in front of you, we're going to be bouncing around through this passage, which is a little complex, which is why I'm trying to give it a framework. But he asks this question, what causes these quarrels and fights among you? His first response is the passions that are at war within you, verse 1. The passions that are at war within you. That word passions is the Greek word hedone, from where we get hedonism or pleasure or self-gratification. So this is the same word that Paul uses when he talks about the flesh. So when James says these, these quarrels are caused by the passions He's talking about that enemy, the flesh. He says, you desire, you covet, you're lacking something in your own sinful desires that your fallen self wants. And so in your fallen self, you lash out and you murder, you fight, you quarrel, you scoff, you use your words as weapons of war. This is an activity of the flesh. James says. And so we're clear when we're talking about the flesh, when scripture talks about the flesh, when we talk about the flesh in Christian theology, we're not talking about skin and bones and muscle. We're talking about our fallen nature. We're talking about the sinful parts of ourselves that every one of us has. We're all born into sin. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have a fallen nature that's always more oriented towards sin than it is toward God. It's always more naturally aligned with the ways of sin, the ways that lead us to hell and destruction than they are towards God, which is why we need Jesus to redeem our flesh. Paul in Romans 7 talks about this and illustrates it in the starkest way. He says, I know what I want to do but I I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do, and these passions are at war within me. There's a conflict within himself that's the flesh in conflict with the spirit. And all of us know the temptations of the flesh. All of us have experienced them in various ways. For Sometimes we experience it with food and uh, eating more than we really need. Sometimes it's with lust and, and seeking self, uh, sexual gratification outside the covenant of marriage. Sometimes it's work, where some of us are tended towards workaholism. Some of us tended toward laziness. All of us have that temptation to pride that's inherent in the fallen self, where we want to center ourselves, we want to put ourselves on the pedestal 
centering ourselves above others and trying to play God and trying to play judge. James calls this out at the end of our passage, verses 11 and 12, when he calls out our speech, our evil speech against one another, where we're trying to use our speech to judge other people and to judge the law. And he says, you don't have the right to do that. That pride, that sinful part of ourselves would exalt ourselves and push down others. This is something that we all deal with. And James is saying, this is central to these fights and these quarrels that you're having. When you're centering your passions, the the sinful flesh, when that becomes the driver uh, behind your decisions, your actions, your behavior, that's what leads into sin. When you let your flesh call the shots, that brings about sin. And he says, you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Uh, You do not have because you do not ask, in verse 2. And James is saying, you're lacking, you're feeling a lack in yourself, in your sinful flesh, because you're not asking. And then you're not asking rightly. You're asking wrongly. And to ask God for something wrongly means you're asking out of your flesh. You're asking out of your sinful desires. And when we ask God for things that are rooted in our sinful desires, he's not going to give it to you. Do you know why? Because he loves you. He loves you. And he knows that to serve those sinful desires will destroy you. So he's not going to give that to you. He's not going to answer those prayers because he loves you far too much. James moves on in verse 4 to the world, the second enemy of our soul. And he says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? What a stark statement he's making. What a line in the sand. Battle lines have been drawn. When you're talking about enmity, you're talking about war. So James is saying you're squabbling over these little wars and fights in your community but you're missing sight of the bigger picture, the bigger battle that's going on. And if you are making friends with the world, you are making yourself an enemy with God. The world, when James talks about this, when when Paul talks about the world, we're talking about this is the world that God loves, that God created, but has fallen away from him. And the world is the forces around us that, that are influencing us away from God and towards sin. It's culture, it's society, it's institutions and structures that are always opposed to God and his ways. And we live in this world, we're saturated in the things of this world, and we're influenced by this world and its values, which are not God's values. This world is trying to influence us towards its own consumerism, self-centeredness, self-exaltation, this uh, sexually saturated culture that would, want, that would encourage us to just appease our own desires. It's a culture of death that doesn't value life or the dignity of other people. The world around us that we're just, uh, the ocean that we're swimming in is, is trying to influence us away from God. It's not a neutral force. The world around us is not neutral. It's aiming us away from God. And that's why James says that friendship with this world is enmity with God. 
There can be no fence straddling. There can be no one foot in each camp. You're either allied with the world or you're allied with the Lord. Either you're choosing the world and renouncing God or you're choosing for God and renouncing the world. There is no uh, both and. So the question is, where is your allegiance? Where are you choosing to belong? James goes even farther than this. As if his language couldn't be any harsher, he compares it to adultery. You adulterous people, he says. Because the, the relationship between God and his people is throughout Scripture relate, uh, compared to a marriage. That God is covenanted to his people as a husband is to a wife. And if we have broken that covenant, if we've said, no, I'd rather go with the world over here, we're being unfaithful. We're breaking the covenant that God has made. We're betraying him and causing enmity. And all of us know how this works. We know how the world presses in on us and influences us. Many of us have seen Christians, brothers and sisters that we know and love, who have gone more with the world than they have with God's kingdom. Because the world is easier. It's more comfortable. It's more aligned and oriented with what my flesh already wants, so that must be the way it needs to be. But God calls us to renounce the world. And, and, and friendship with the world is enmity with God. The third enemy is the devil. And the devil is at work here. This one's a little bit more nuanced in this passage, but verse 7 says, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil implies that the devil needs resisting. That the devil is actively at work among us. Actively trying to pull us away from Jesus. Satan is God's enemy and our enemy, the one whose sole aim is to drag you down to hell for all eternity. He prowls about like a roaring lion waiting to devour, says 1 Peter. He's constantly working to undermine your faith, working to undermine the church of Jesus Christ. And we need to be fully aware that Satan is at work in the world and among us. We need to not be blindsided or naive to the fact that Satan is real and that he is trying to drag you down to hell. There are many things that are demonic in this world, the work of Satan and his demons. Very few of them look like the exorcist. So let's dispel that image from our mind because most of the time that's not actually how Satan works. What Satan does is he twists the truth. He twists God's word. He twists your thoughts to shape your worldview, to make you doubt God and his love for you, to make you doubt yourself and who you are. Satan drives wedges in between people who love each other, who should be united in Jesus Christ. The, and most of the time, Satan's work looks like these kind of divisions, these fightings, these scandals, these dissensions and factions. That's so often the work of Satan. So Satan and his demons are always working to drag the church down and to divide it. And what an example we have even this morning as we looked at our diocese and what's been going on. And there are many reasons for, uh, for what has come to this, but 
I believe that Satan has been mightily at work in our diocese to cause this kind of division and disorder and scandal. And so I, I encourage you to ask the question, how is Satan active in my life? What is he trying to do to me? How is he trying to drag me or my family or my church down? And then how can we resist him? So James's point in all of this, in calling out the world, the flesh, and the devil, is to use these conflicts to help us to see how much is against us. How much up against the wall we are with these forces that are overwhelming us. And in the face of these overwhelming obstacles, the influences of the world, the flesh, and the devil, trying to undermine our faith, to undermine our unity as a body of Christ, what are we to do? James's solution is humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. This is humility is simply knowing your situation. Humility is knowing, having a proper self-awareness before the Lord. Because if you know the weight of all the powerful forces against us, if you know the weight of sin that is in you and that is uh, having such effect in your own life, you know how much you need to depend on God's mercy and God's love. Humility is simply this self-awareness and knowing your status. James says, humble yourselves, therefore. Submit yourselves to God. Draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. Submit to God is that idea of being humble before him and saying, you are the Lord, I'm not. You're in charge I obey. You're the master. I'm the servant. Humble yourselves before him, James says, because this humble faith is the only way that we can fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil, and to work for peace in our communities. Humble faith is what enables us to renounce the world and the flesh and the devil to deny who we, our flesh, to deny the devil, to stand firm against him. Humble yourselves. And he goes on to call us to repent with mourning. He says, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. What is James getting at here with this gloomy statement? He's just asking us to take sin and the world, the flesh, and the devil seriously that these are no laughing matter. And I'm not here to be a killjoy and to make you feel bad. I don't think James is either. But at times, the Holy Spirit's conviction on us will bring tears and mourning when we come to that place of self-awareness, when we realize the weight of sin and the weight of the powers that are against us. And all we have in this world is the mercy of God. These tears of sorrow and repentance will lead us to receive God's grace. They'll lead us to that place of humility where we can receive his grace that is sufficient for us. Because God longs to give you grace. It says he gives more grace to the humble. 
He yearns to give you grace. He yearns jealously for you as the husband to his bride. God loves you. God longs to give grace to you. He wants nothing more for you to turn to him in that humble faith and to say, yes, Lord, I receive what you have for me. And James calls us to mourn because if your laughter, if your joy, if your happiness in this world is only rooted in a false reality, in denying the, the real situation that we're in, weighed down by sin and opposed by the work of the, the world, the flesh, and the devil, if your laughter and your joy is rooted in that, then you need to let it die. You need to let the joy go because it's false. And it's better to enter the kingdom of God with sorrow than to laugh your way to hell. The weight of sin is heavy. The forces against us are powerful. And James says, humble yourselves before the Lord and come to him. Recognize your own spiritual poverty. Recognize your own desperate need for God's grace. Have a clear and proper self-awareness before the Lord of the universe. The world, the flesh, and the devil are more than a match for us, but God is more than a match for them. And he will save us. He longs to save us. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you, James says. So in these conflicts that we find ourselves in, in the church, with our neighbors, our coworkers, our families, we're in an election season. We've got an election on Tuesday. Our country is incredibly polarized and divided. In these conflicts, God calls us to humble ourselves, to live with a humble faith so that we can be peacemakers so that we can be people of peace, people who call us to a higher goal. The Lord calls us to this humble faith because only by it are we saved. Only in humility can we receive God's grace. That's why God opposes the proud, but he exalts the humble. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this word from James. And I thank you that you, in your sovereignty, inspired him 2,000 years ago to write this so that we might read it today and, and by your Holy Spirit be convicted. And we know the weight of the world against us. We know the weight of the flesh that drives us. We know the activity of the devil that overwhelms us and is too much for us. But you are greater still. Your grace runs deeper still than all of these things. And Lord, we trust in you to save us. So come, Holy Spirit, and make us yours. In the name of Jesus, amen.